Hello, and welcome to the Totally Clinical podcast, brought to you by Techro. Totally Clinical is a deep dive into the freshest trends, big time challenges, and most excellent triumphs of clinical trials. I'm Hannah, your host. Join me as I chat with industry experts, trailblazers, thought leaders, and most importantly, the people benefiting from clinical research. So tune in, settle back, and don't touch that dial. It's time to get totally clinical. Today, I'm joined by Nick Brueggemann, founder and vice president at CCT Research, a company that has a very innovative approach to accelerating the patient enrollment process for Alzheimer's research. The way it works is by embedding the clinical research platform directly into senior living communities. This radically simplifies the process with trial staff easily accessible to patients. Nick starts by explaining more about his background as a second generation clinical research company founder. So I will start off, I always make the joke, my father, David Bruggeman, uh, didn't actually start from scratch with a research company. He, Him and his business partner purchased a company called Clinical Research Advantage back in 2007. Uh, Clinical Research Advantage at that point in time had four research sites across uh, the valley, the Phoenix Valley. Um, and what they did was actually embed their clinical trials into physician offices. And most of these offices were primary care, general medicine, uh, family practice offices, where, like I said, they had they would staff the research staff and they would utilize the EMR system to recruit patients, but they would also utilize the physicians to oversee um, the research. So he grew that pretty quickly here in the States. Um, I think grew it to about 30 locations across uh, six or seven states, if, I, if I'm recalling correctly, um, and then purchased a company called Radiant Research. Um, Radiant Research had a little bit different of a model. They actually uh, had a standalone research model where they would utilize outside recruitment efforts to drive patients into their site. Um, so that was, I think, back in that was in 2011, if I if I'm you know recalling correctly. But I actually, it's really funny. I worked for my dad all the way from. I know it says um, you know I was 22. That's when I actually stopped working for him. But when I was 18. I was um, coming into the office from nine to two, um, helping the regulatory division out. I called myself a regulatory assistant. I make the joke that I was just scanning papers and, and uh, building source documents from a printer. Um, I also did a lot of the uh, inclusion and exclusion type ups um, and was building rate binders. So that's what I did as a regulatory assistant. And I, I actually would come in to work for my dad uh, wearing flip-flops and, and uh, shorts and everybody would, you know, make jokes about the wardrobe that I wore. I think looking looking back on it, if I knew where I am today, I probably would have taken that uh, role a little more seriously. Um, but it was exciting to see and be a part of research. At that time, I, I believe that's when the H1N1 vaccine was coming out and that was the big craze. And it was interesting to see some of these higher volume studies coming through, but I was a part of that from a very small, minute section of the business, um, but it was great working with a lot of these different people. And, and I mentioned before, they purchased Radiant Research, which then led to a purchase from PPD. And that's when my father got out of um, clinical research, which was about six or seven years ago. So you got a lot of experience in the industry from a young age, and you were then inspired to set up CCT Research. I know that you initially chose to focus on patients with Alzheimer's. Why was that? 
That's a great question. So CCT research technically stands for cognitive clinical trials. Um, about um, early 2017, um, we had the thought um, of running Alzheimer's studies inside senior living communities. Myself, CJ Anderson, who's the president, and Alex Kenobi, who's our CFO, um, us three founders, really have a passion for Alzheimer's research. We've all been affected by it in some way. Um, so the idea of running research inside of a senior living, living community really brought the patient focus uh, to research, right? Where the goal was if, if a patient that's, or a resident is in our study, they could go down the hall and knock on our door and talk to the coordinator. Um, and that was the idea that we had because a lot of times, Alzheimer's and dementia research is not accessible to patients. Uh, they may have to drive hours just to be a part of a study. Um, our goal was to bring multiple senior living communities to light by embedding research into the, the community across the whole valley. So we had sites in the West Valley, we had sites in, in the downtown Phoenix, we had sites in Scottsdale, we had sites in the East Valley. And the goal would be if if you qualify for a study, we're going to do whatever we can to get you in and and um, be involved, right? And it was extremely easy for the residents to be a part of it. But the one great thing that not the one, but one of the great things the senior living communities did for us is it great gave us a great point to operationalize a site, right? The the communities really understood the value um, that research is bringing to the community because. There's, especially here in Arizona, there are senior living communities going up daily. And to be able to offer clinical trials as a hope to cure Alzheimer's was something that the neighbor wasn't doing, right? Every time you went to the community, every time you heard what great, uh, you know, hair salon they had or movie theater or the cafeteria and the food they eat, which is all great, but you didn't really hear people talking about the problem of Alzheimer's and, and you know, memory loss. And that's what we were set out to do. Um, so yeah, that was kind of our, our goal and our mission early on with CCT. We've seen so many breakthroughs with other diseases, but not so much with Alzheimer's. Why do you think this is? It's a really tough question. I think there's, a, you know, a few different reasons. And this is all, you know, what I believe in, in being in the Alzheimer's industry. Um, so really, it's a it's an um, elderly disease, right? As you get older, these things, you know, happen. And I think one thing is we're still figuring it out, right? Brain, uh, brains are evolving and, and, you know, things are changing every day where I think, you know, 50, 40, 50 years ago, people were not living to the ages of 80 or 90 years old. And now they are, and they're not being diagnosed till until they're 80 or 90, right? So they're, they're a little bit past um, the time that they need to to catch Alzheimer's, right? And and go to neuro, to a neurologist or an Alzheimer's specialist to really figure out what's going on. You know, that's one kind of main reason why I believe um, there hasn't been any cure for Alzheimer's. The second one is you know, as trials go through the phases of research, right? Preclinical phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four. Um, I, I do believe as they go through the phase two and phase three, when they're trying to meet endpoints, um, they don't really match up and the data is not there. So they have to scratch the whole protocol and get back to the drawing board. Uh, I will say um, in the Alzheimer's industry, we like to say bad data is still good data, right? We know that this didn't work. Now let's scratch that and start with something new and something fresh, right? Why didn't this work? Let's let's work on a new medication or try some other, you know, neurological stimulation type 
study where you know let's see if we can push that forward so i believe that's another part and then kind of the the last part is there's there's a lot of studies out there that some some sponsors and CROs are looking for a hundred sites, right? And if they go to a hundred different sites, that's a hundred different companies working on the research, right? And I like to believe everybody's following the protocol and everybody's following the regulations and and things like that, which I do believe people are. But you know, there's always different people working these studies, and there's there could be different data coming back because they are working with a hundred different types of sites. Right. So there's there's probably not consistent data across the board uh, to keep moving these uh, medications through the phases of research. I will say that I think we are setting ourselves up in the next 10 plus years to really see some advancements with with the technology that's that's come about. So I'm excited. I think that we're going to a place that's going to really see some positive feedback moving forward. So COVID-19 has changed the way a lot of companies operate. How has the pandemic changed your focus as a company? Our business was built around senior living communities for the first year, year and a half. Uh, we we're strictly running Alzheimer's dementia, dementia studies from these communities. Uh, COVID hit and we were pretty much locked out of our communities, not because, you know, they wanted us not to be there it was because we had to not be there. Um, and the regulations are actually still changing daily inside of our communities that we were in. Um, we actually had to pick up and move our studies to neurology offices um, because we did not know how long this was going to last and, and we were not able to step foot back in these communities unless we were a resident. Um, but what that did for us was we can now open up the, the range of CNS indications. We now run migraine studies, we now run Parkinson's, MS, ALS, uh, you know, still running MCI and, and Alzheimer's studies, but we can now kind of run the whole array of CNS trials, which is which is great. Um, now we can offer more hopeful medications to patients in all different types of uh, neurology indications. Um, so that took place and we realized we couldn't put all of our eggs in that basket. These studies are very difficult. All neuro studies are difficult. It's not, you will not find an easy neuro study. Uh, but my background, you know, being involved in my dad's company was family med and internal med and primary care studies. Um, so I knew a lot of physicians in that space. Um, and I actually had physicians reaching out to me and they said, hey, Nick, I heard you're starting a research company. Um, can you, is there any way that we can get involved? And that kind of opened up the door for our gen men and family med sites. And with COVID, we also believe that that's, that's where the, the research was kind of shifting. As you probably, if you speak to a lot of sponsors and CROs in the industry, a lot of their other studies and protocols were put on pause due to COVID. Um, so we knew we can run vaccine studies. We knew we'd be able to run treatment studies and, and even diagnostic studies. And we kind of pivoted to that and it actually um, catapulted our growth. I think when March of 2020 hit and the world kind of shut down and CJ Anderson, our president, got everybody on, on a Zoom call and said, hey, we either have two options. We can either, you know, kind of pack up and weather the storm or we can um, flourish in this environment. And we kind of did. We we jumped into a growth mode of, of opening new sites and and running COVID studies out of there. And I imagine you faced some challenges doing that. Oh, yeah, we definitely did. So a few of the challenges, obviously, was people coming into our offices. Uh, we had to um, use more virtual. Um, so we had virtual visits. We utilized vendors for virtual visits. Um, we also had a lot of our physicians saying that they didn't know if 
um, they wanted research to be there at that time. What we actually did at a few of our sites, we set up uh, trailers in the parking lots where we could see sick patients if we we're doing COVID treatment studies, but we can also, you know, see the healthy patients for our vaccines inside the practice. So we we definitely were molding ourselves around the environment and what we needed to do. And to be honest, our sponsors were okay with it. They were happy that we were figuring this out during a tough time. Uh, but it's kind of it's given given us the confidence that we can run these types of studies. And I mean, I hope this, you know, a global pandemic does not happen again. But I think we've all in the research industry have realized what we need to do to to, you know, excel during this time. At CCT, you're paving the way in a data driven approach to trials. Why do you think the industry has been so slow to adapt to the changing digital landscape? My background and and the other founders and some of the executives in this company's background has been all paper driven research. I mean, probably four years ago, people just started real or companies started realizing that we can do things digitally and electronic. And now we don't need pharmaceutical companies to send CRAs out to a site when we can do it virtually, which is amazing. And I think the you know, over the last however many years, the reason why it was so difficult to change this landscape was because the technology just wasn't there. I think what we have done, especially during the the times of COVID, is is be able to produce uh, technology that allows um, for people to, you know, do visits or do things from afar, which which is great. And I think that technology wasn't here uh, five, six, seven years ago. Now, I I think we are moving forward and while technology wasn't always there it was something that was always thought about and i think i remember i go back i'm gonna bring up my father a lot in this i remember when i first started cct and i told him we were doing a um uh e-regulatory so electronic regulatory and electronic source and he said i don't think the sponsors are going to like that and i had to tell him i was like i think it's a new time and i think they have to get behind it and that was four years ago um, so I really believe it's just because the technology at that time was not there um, to really help push this forward. So it was always needed research. I'm sure it, you know a lot of people that are listening to this will understand that patients are the most valuable um, part of research and having and getting technology in place, which I don't even think is there yet. It's something that I think we're still moving forward, but figuring out how to get patients in studies, figuring out how to um, get patients involved when it comes to education and material for clinical research trials, I think is still something that needs to, um, you know, get better and improve. Um, I think right now, patients are still don't know research studies are out there. And when, when you know, people call, I have an internal recruitment team, when our internal recruitment team calls, they're very caught off guard. So figuring out ways from a technology standpoint to get more patients involved is something that I still uh, believe is going to be up and coming. Um, but I think before is all about the technology and what we didn't have access to at our fingertips. Yeah, that's incredible. The story from your father, you know, mm -hmm. the, the discussion with your father, because I think that in so many other industries, things are so much more advanced. Exactly. I I have a I have a funny story. I just hired we just hired here at CCT a, a VP of data and analytics and he comes from the EMR space. He worked for Cerner and uh, Epic for a very long time. He didn't have any research experience, but high level person and we brought him in and 
you know, kind of the first month he was here, we were talking about the feasibility process. And CCT here, we do, we already do a great job at the feasibility side of things because we have access into our EMRs and our databases where we can run these reports to figure out what patients fit our trials. But there's still a sense of like, okay, even though we have access to 200 patients, how many patients will actually qualify? How many patients will actually say yes to a study? And how many patients will actually show up for their visit, right? It breaks that down. And those are a lot of, Un, you know, things that we can't really uh, measure, right? So if there's still some sort of guessing factor in regards to how many people we actually believe we're going to enroll in this study. And I think uh, his name's Kyle McAllister. I, I think that's kind of the been the backbone of what we're trying to accomplish here is figuring out, you know, how to take the guesswork out of, of you know, the operation, right? And I think that's something that he's embarking on and we are going to be building over this next six to eight months. And I think, um, you know, his lack of knowledge in the research space is actually a positive where he's looking at it from a different lens um, and figuring out how to, how do we get this feasibility process so, you know, particular where we aren't guessing. And when we tell you we can enroll 200 patients, we believe we can enroll 200 patients and this is why it will show you. So it's exciting. And looking to the future, how do you see the clinical research industry changing over the next five years? So one, and it's something that we've discussed over the last uh, few minutes, is the technology. I think there will be better technology, you know, artificial intelligence and, and things like that. They're going to be incorporated into research that I think is going to help pinpoint patients, enrolling patients into a study, you know, selecting the studies that qualify best for sites. I think that's going to come up. But I also believe a big, um, you know, thing that's going to be changing in the future is moving more to a decentralized approach. Um, so I know there are uh, studies that we will need to have a brick and mortar building. I hope there is because we would be out of business with our brick and mortar buildings. But um, we are also moving to a decentralized uh, area where we can do half the visits from home or half the visits virtually. And I think it's something that probably will help enrollment where we can tell a patient, you don't have to come in for your visit six because we will call you virtually or we will send a nurse out to your, your house to do the visit, right? I think that's something that is going to be growing in the future. And hopefully looking into the future, I, I mentioned this as well as access to patients. How do we, how do we bring patients to these studies. Um, we already, my company itself already has access to hundreds of thousands and we're partnering with some large healthcare data companies, which put, could potentially give us access to millions of patients. Uh, but how do we get those patients in the door? And what do we need to do to have them feel comfortable with being a part of a study? Because we aren't going to be able to drive trials throughout the phases of research if we don't get patients interested and knowledgeable in research in the first place. So, you know, those are the things I think are going to be the way of the future. And that's your dose of Totally Clinical. For all the listeners out there, you can follow Tecra on Twitter. The handle is at Tecra Official, LinkedIn and Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And of course, download the Totally Clinical podcast on Apple, Spotify and Google. See you on your next visit and remember to bring your friends. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.